Check, check. Hey, it's working. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Doing well? Yeah, we get a little woo out here. It's, uh, I don't know, I'm just going to say it. This morning's been awesome so far. <laughs> it's just been really good. And I just feel like God's here this morning and that God wants to do some stuff in us this morning and through our church even uh, the rest of the day. And so just want to say that, just want to acknowledge that, start our time off with that. Just, I fully believe that God's here and that God wants to speak to you today. So uh, let's lean in together. Let's jump into this moment. Uh, let's be here. Let's be present. So uh, I think you guys picked a good Sunday to come. To uh, We're kicking off our summer series. We are doing uh, a series called Resistance is what we're calling it. And essentially what we're going to be doing over the next seven weeks is that we are going to be looking at the seven letters that Jesus writes to seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, now, before we move on, I want to take a moment to kind of step back and just to address something here. Uh, I don't know about you. But I know about me and every single church or setting that I have been in, and somebody says, we're going to open up the Bible to the book of Revelation, I kind of laugh to myself and say, like, really, like, where are we going to be at? Are we, are we really in Revelation? Or is this just kind of some joke that you're putting in front of me? And then the person's like, no, we're actually going to be in Revelation. It's like this room silence moment, right? And we're like, oh, dang, like something's about to happen. Something's about to go down. And I think sometimes we feel like that because... The book of Revelation has become, in our culture, to some extent, this kind of untouchable book of the Bible, right? It's become this really uh, odd thing. It's developed this reputation of, of, you know, we appreciate it from afar, but we're not so sure how we want to enter into it. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of reasons why we do that. Some of us have anxiety about going into it because we know that times it can be a little bit confusing. Uh, at times it can be a little bit strange. We also uh, might come forward and just say, I- I'm just straight up confused by this. Uh, We also might come forward and say, somebody's used the book of Revelation in a really harmful way in my life in the past. And so I want to acknowledge that this morning, um, that if that's you, uh, I'm glad that you're here. Um, A lot of people don't know, but there are actually the words of Jesus all throughout the book of Revelation. And I don't know about you, I know about me, and I need to hear words from Jesus, right? And so it's important that we enter into the book of Revelation. It's important that we sit in this place. It's important that we're transformed by this text. And so as we've been approaching this, as we've known that this has been coming, I remember when Luke asked me uh, if I would preach this week, and I said, what's the text? And he said, Revelation 2. And I said, really? <laughs> we sure want to do this. And I just started praying for our church, uh, that however we're coming in, whatever baggage we might have coming in, that we would come in and recognize that Revelation is, something, uh, is not something that we should approach out of a place of anxiety. It's not something that we should approach out of a place of fear. It's not something that we should approach out of a place of nervousness, but it's something that we should approach with excitement, knowing that Jesus is speaking to us. Jesus in this letter is speaking to his church. And so he wants to use that to shape us, inform us, and transform us. So are you with me? Are we ready to jump in? All right. Uh, what we're going to be doing uh, in each of these letters is really uh, acknowledging the fact that faithfulness to anything, faithfulness to anyone in the Christian life, it requires resistance to others. And so we're saying there is forces, there is opposition, there are things all around us that are coming in on all sides of us that are trying to take us away from the love of God, and particularly trying to take us away from, from living in this place, living our lives in such a way. And they're pulling us from that. There are things in our culture that might seem more attractive, and that's really what we're going to focus in on today. There might be things within us that are clouding our ability to be able to actually focus in on the love of Jesus, what he has for our lives. There might be uh, lies about ourselves, lies about others that we're believing, that we're attaching ourselves to. There might be things that are political or economic or social forces, so on and so forth. The fact of it is there are things in our world that are pressing in on us, that are attempting to take our vision off of Jesus and onto everything else. And so we must resist. 
right? We must resist the temptation to look at everything else around us and to stay fixated on Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to in this. And so if we have the image behind me, we chose the image for this series. Uh, this is a crashing wave on this rock. And really what we thought is that this just portrays exactly what we're talking about. That there are waves of culture, that there are waves of, to some extent, the suppression that are facing us, and that we need to be strong in the midst of these things coming against us. Knowing that our strength is not in ourselves, our strength is not in the works that we do, but our strength is found in Jesus, and in Jesus alone. And so in order for us to resist the temptation to look away from Jesus, we must stand on the rock. We must be uh, on that foundation before anything else. And so that's why we chose this image. That's what we chose this, this uh, series for us, is we believe there are a lot of things trying to take us away from Jesus. And we say, we don't want that. We want to be focused. We want to be in. We want to be here. And so for the next seven weeks, we're going to be doing this self-reflection, this deep dive reflection as a person, reflection as a church, and saying, God, who have you called me to be? Who have you called us to be? And how are we being faithful to that? And I love this. At the end of every single letter that we're going to read, uh, it finishes out like this. It says, uh, for all who have an ear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. So we want to listen. And so we're praying for us that we would listen. And so the first church that we get is the church of Ephesus. And so if you have a Bible, you're going to turn with me. We're going to be Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And the thing that I want to point out as you're turning there is that uh, Jesus here in Revelation 2 and 3, he's speaking to these very prominent, these very alive first century churches that in modern day geography would find themselves in like west coast of Turkey, it would have been called Asia Minor uh, back in the day. And as he's writing these letters in each one of them, he gives us a few different things. He's commending the churches for what they're doing well. He's giving them some warnings and kind of pointing some things out that are going on in the church. And then he's exhorting them. He's urging them to do some specific things to kind of get back in line with where God has called them to be as a church. And, and what we'll see is that although, again, 2,000 years ago, all this has happened, still insanely relevant, still super, super, super uh, important for us to see, for us to read, for us to take into our lives, to be able to work it out. And so again, we're taking this, we're receiving this as a church and as individuals, and we're examining our lives and saying, God, where are we? How do we fall in line with this? And most of the churches that we're going to talk about over the next seven weeks, you've probably never heard of. They're mentioned maybe one or two times throughout the New Testament, but Ephesus is a much different case, right? Ephesus is all over the New Testament. This place was super, super important. We see the, the start of the church in Ephesus in Acts 19. It moves on from there, and we get the letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. Uh, after that, we lean in, and we have two letters that are written to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, being Timothy, and then we've got John. And John's writing this, and well, you recognize John's name. John's kind of all over the place in a number of other ways as well. And so Ephesus is important. This is a big deal. This is a very big letter that is being written by Jesus to this specific church. And we get this letter about 30 years or so after this church was started. And so the question that, that kind of we bring in as we are reading this letter is, how's the church doing 30 years later? How, how are they doing? How have they fared over the course of 30 years? And in Ephesians, it tells us that, that it was a church that was rooted on the supreme love of Christ above all and above all other things. And so, jump with me, starting in verse 1, Revelation 2. Let's see how the church in Ephesus is doing. Scripture says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. It says, I know your deeds, 
your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, and you have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. It's just like throwing shade at the Nicolaitans there at the end. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So right off the bat, Jesus comes out and he starts saying, church, this is where you're doing really, really, really well. And he names all these things out there. And he says, you are serving faithfully. You are a hardworking people. He says, the works of your hands, these things are good for others. They're good for yourselves. They're good for the city. They are people that are just devoted to the cause, right? This is good. This is a good mark of a church. He says, you're a persevering people with the things that are coming against you. He says, you're a people that are resisting sin, not entering into the waves of everything else that's happening around you. He says, you are critically examining the claims of false apostles and having strong doctrine as a church. That they've been taking teaching seriously, that they're always taking what they're hearing, they're putting it before the scriptures and they're saying, does this make sense? Is this, is this actually true? And so it's a church that's committed to strong, biblical truth, good things. He says, you've endured hardships without becoming weary. And truth be told, Ephesus was a really, really hard place to minister in. Ephesus was a really hard place to minister in at this time. Uh, the city in itself was founded on the Greek goddess uh, of uh, Artemis. It was known for fertility, and so prostitution was rampant. Um, the sexual culture throughout Ephesus was absolutely massive and again became this idol, turning people away from anything else in their lives towards this. Uh, tons and tons of Greek goddesses were there. It was on a, it was this major port, and so lots of people were coming in with lots of ideas, lots of things that they're trying to say to try to sway somebody from their specific teaching. And even as time moved forward, uh, even in the Roman Empire, it was a very difficult place to live. Uh, the Roman Emperor wanted to be worshipped and did not want God to be worshipped and actually renamed himself God and Lord so that he would be the one who would be worshipped above all else. Hard place, difficult place, and Jesus is saying, you've endured it. You haven't become weary. You've continued on. You have not compromised to the heavy waves of culture. So he says these five things. He lays it out for the church, and he's like, well done. You've done well. This is good for us to see. And from an outsider's perspective, right, this is the church that we want to be a part of, isn't it? Strong biblical truth, all about Jesus, pointing people to him, uh, saying yes to his name, riding the waves of culture and not being able to turn over, making sure we're staying committed to righteousness and sound doctrine and holiness and the truth, seeking the good of the city, coming forward and doing these works. Like, this is the church that we want to be a part of. And I want you to imagine for a minute, you are sitting in the church of Ephesus and you receive this letter. And you begin reading this letter and, and, and you're hearing these things, one after the next, one, two, three, four, five, naming out the things that he sees you doing. Well, how do you feel about that? It's amazing, isn't it? You're like, yes, like we've got this. We are the church that we're supposed to be. We're the church that you've intended us to be. He knows what we're doing. He sees what we're doing. This is amazing. This is fantastic. And then 
That's not the end of the letter, is it? He continues on. Uh, most of you have met my daughter Nora. For those of you who haven't, I have a three-year-old daughter named Nora. Nora is wild and crazy and ridiculous. <laughs> Nora is also very strong-willed. <laughs> and Nora lately has decided that she wants to dress herself all of the time. Now, those of you who are parents know how difficult it is to let a kid dress themselves. And so when she has an outfit in her mind, when she knows what she wants to wear, she will have nothing else. She is going to wear that specific outfit. And she works so hard to dress herself. She works so hard to get it out of the dresser, to get it on, to make sure that mom or I aren't telling her to stop it. And she comes out, and she's wearing like a skirt over her jeans like it's 2003. She's got a t-shirt on backwards. She's got a coat on, even though it's 108 degrees outside. She's got wrong socks, and she's got her shoes on opposite feet. And she comes in, and she's like, look what I've done. <laughs> We're like, yeah, look what you've done. <laughs> She's like, I'm so glad you want to dress yourself, Nora. I'm so glad that you want to do these things, but you're just a little bit off, right? You're just a little bit out of priority for what's actually happening around you. We've got to make some shifts and changes, right? And that's the church in Ephesus. They're showing up to Jesus. They're saying, look what we're doing. Look what's happening. Look at what we're bringing to you. Look at these works that we're doing. Look how hard we're trying. Look how hard we are pursuing to some extent, something, even if they've maybe lost a little bit of what that exactly is. And Jesus is like, you've got some of the right parts here. You've got some good stuff happening. But you've mixed up the priority. He says that the task, to some extent, is being completed. You're well on the way of seeing that happen. These are good things. Keep these things. They're amazing. But you're not in the right order. And we see that in the scripture. He says, yes, all this stuff is good. All this stuff is fantastic that you guys are doing. This is what churches should be like. However, I've got this one thing against you. It says, you've left your first love. Like, ouch, right? It's heavy. It's weighty. That's not something that the church would take lightly in hearing that, specifically knowing that in Ephesians, they, if this church has been praised for how much they love Jesus. This is like the second generation church coming in and saying, how are we doing as we're pressing forward into the future? We're orthodox in our theology and our practices and service, yet something is missing. And Jesus says very plainly to them, if it is not corrected, it will ruin your light-bearing capacity. It will ruin your ability to show people exactly who I am because it's going to be just distorted enough to not resemble who I am and who I am in your life and how I've called you to live and who I've called you to be, right? Every church should look at Ephesus and say, we want these characteristics but the good efforts that we have should not spring from our own doing, from our own wanting, from our own belief system even, but it should spring solely from the love of Jesus Christ. A love that we know because he first loved us that we would never have an idea of if it wasn't because of him. He says everything that you do needs to be rooted. Everything that you do needs to come back to the fact that I love you and that you're living from this place. And so if I had to sum up what Jesus is telling to the church in Ephesus right now, this is how we would do it. And this is how I'm going to present it to us as a church as well. It's this. The story you live in is the story that you will live out. Let me say that again. The story that you live in is the story that you will live out. If we are to live in the love of Jesus, in the gospel good news story, it is the gospel we will see on the other end. If we are to live into our hard works, the fruit we see on the other end will not be what God has intended it to be on the other side, will it? If we're living into idolatry in our lives, things that are, again, shifting us, taking us away from it, if we're living into those things, we're not going to see the fruit, the life that we desire to see on the other end of it if we are being rooted in the love of God. 
And so he's saying, come back. He's saying, church, return. Come back to your first love. And he's saying, and just in case you didn't know it, it's me. He says, come back to me. I've, I've rescued you. I loved you first. Come back to me. And at the first love in your life, in that top priority spot that you would be placing, Jesus above all else. Again, Ephesus, the church, ferociously committed to the truth about God. Ferociously committed. But in the process, Jesus says, you have left your love for me. Notice he doesn't say you've lost it. He says you've left it. It's not gone. And so he's telling them, come back. Come back to this love. And in short, he's telling them, your hard works, the things that you're doing, these are good, but ministry, labor, legalism, your works, they are never going to be a, a... a good substitute for intimacy with God, right? That ministry is never a good substitute. That ministry is a terrible substitute for intimacy with God. And I think we need to hear that as a church. I think we need to hear that as people, as individuals, that doing things for God does not equate to being with God, and God cares far more about what you're doing with Him than what you're doing for Him. Because He's saying the things that you're going to do for me, they need to be rooted first and foremost in your time with me, in your love for me. That if it's rooted in this place, that as you live that out, that it would be amazing and that it would be fragrant and that people would see it and say, that's undoubtedly from the love of God. Because the story that you live in is a story that you will live out. We might be thinking, the church of Ephesus, we're looking and we're saying, all these good things, all these amazing things. Yes and amen, church in Ephesus. We love it. But how did you mess this one thing up, right? How did you miss it? How did you get to get off course just enough to miss this, to miss the love of God. And so uh, the truth of it is it happens to us, doesn't it? It happens to us all the time if we're being completely honest and if we're being transparent with ourselves, right? The story we live in is the story that we live out. And my question for you this morning is, what is the story that you are living in? Right? What's the story that you are rooting your life in? And are you sure that it's this? How confident are you that it's the love of God? I was uh, sitting down a few years ago uh, in a seminar with a guy named James K.A. Smith, and he's written a number of amazing books. And uh, two of the books he's put out are one's called Desiring the Kingdom, and one is called You Are What You Love. And essentially, they're an adaptation of one another (laughs) to some extent. And in the book, he ends up writing this scenario in this story, and while I was sitting in this lecture with him, he ends up kind of presenting this scenario to us, and it has been a scenario that's haunted me legitimately from ever since. And I think about it all the time, and I think it's good for us to reflect, so I'm going to invite you into that time. Uh, it goes like this. There's a man, he's walking down the street, and he ends up coming to this place where uh, he realizes he's not alone on the street. There's another man sitting out to the side. And the man sitting out to the side uh, ends up kind of pulling him over from his walk, and he says, hey, I have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I want to to invite you into. What do you think about that? The guy's like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> why, why wouldn't I want to be a part of this? Why wouldn't I want to experience something that's once in a lifetime? And he says, okay, I got this door here. And my invitation to you is that if you say yes to opening this door and you open it, you will see the thing that you love the most sitting behind this door. And the guy's like, all right, yeah, that sounds great. Like, and so he's thinking to himself, what do I love the most? What do I love the most? What do I desire to see behind that door? And he goes, no, 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 no. It's not what you desire to see behind that door. It's not what you choose right now to love that you're going to see behind that door, but it's a thing at your deepest core that you love the most that you will see behind that. So it's not something for you to decide. This is something that's already been decided by your heart, something that's already been decided by the love that you have. Do you still want to open the door and see what's behind it? 
And the guy starts thinking, and he doesn't answer for quite some time. And the guy who's sitting on the street with him says, do you want to open the door or not? And the man says, no, I'm okay. I don't want to open the door. And he says, why don't you want to open the door? And the man replies, because I'm afraid that if I open the door, I am going to be, uh, what I think I love the most is not going to be standing on the other side of it. Didn't have confidence in his first love. He didn't have enough confidence to know that on the other side of that door would be Jesus if he opened it up. And the same questions for us, the same scenario is for us. We have confidence enough that Jesus is our first love, that we would open that door and know that he's sitting behind it. For me, I don't know. <laughs> for some of you, I don't know. It's a great question. It's something that's really profound to think about. And if the answer is I wouldn't open that door, well, then clearly God's got some work to do in our lives, doesn't he? We might humble ourselves to come before him in that. The fact of it is, I've been in this place. I've been in the place where I knew I wouldn't want to open that door because I know standing behind that's not going to be what I professed it to be. Some of you have been in the place where you've not wanted to open the door because what you professed your love to be is not going to be behind that door. And if we're being completely honest with ourselves, there are some of us in this room today who are here. And we would not open the door because we don't have enough confidence that Jesus would be standing behind it. And so we'll simply pass and move on. And Jesus says simply, come back. Return to your first love. Bring your life back away from the things that have gotten the better of you, away from the things that have got your attention, and come back to my love. Come back so that I might be the first love in your life. And so he says this. He gives this to the church in Ephesus. Return. Be in this place. Come back. Come back to me. And so the question is how, right? We want to be practical. We want to be honest. We don't just want to stay in the clouds. We want to get back down really deep into it and say, if I'm going to be calling these things out in my life, what does that begin to look like for me to walk through that? And the good news is in this passage, Jesus really lays it out for us. He really presents us with an opportunity. He gives us three exhortations or three urges to do something, to respond, so that we might come back for him to be the first love in our lives. The first thing he says this is, is remember he says, remember from where you have fallen. And I love that they use the word fallen because fallen implies that something has happened in its fullness. This doesn't remember how you've, uh, again, you're not falling. <laughs> you have fallen. So remember. And what he's really doing when he's saying that is he's giving us a call back to reflect, to go back to the past. And he's saying, remember the way that it used to be in your relationship with me. Think about that. And as we look back, undoubtedly the process of doing so will also uh, call us to recognize our true condition. Fallen, right? Sinful. And the fact is, if we can't recognize our condition, our true condition, then we can't very well confess our sin if we don't see it for what it is. And so we need to see it. So he says, remember, come back, reflect. Where was your love for God derailed in the first place? Can you pinpoint it? Can you find it in your life? Where was that? Was it a painful circumstance? Was it a hardship that you went through? Something that you just said, I don't understand this. I don't know where you're at, God. Maybe it was a good thing like it was for the church in Ephesus. I'm so focused over here. I'm so focused on doing these things or I'm so focused on welcoming these other things into my life. It could even be the family, right? That I've lost my love for God to some extent. Maybe it's success, maybe it's power, maybe it's money, maybe it's sex, maybe it's the things that you do during the day in your work, maybe it's the things that you have, or maybe it's the things that you desire in your life. Maybe it's the things that we run to, run to for attempted security, 
in our lives. And we're able to see that and pinpoint it. So he says, remember. He says, reflect. He says, you can't do anything as we move forward unless we're able to identify the things that our eyes are fixated on, that we've elevated to the place above God. So he says, not do we have them, but what are they? And how do we begin to call them out? And so I want to list off a few questions for us. And these are for you. This is something that you can do this week, something you can do today, even as I'm reading them to you. But this is for you to reflect upon. Uh, This is for you to take an inward look at your heart. This is even for us as a community, take an inward reflection of us as a church, what God's calling to in this moment. So how are we to call out these things in our lives? Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is to look at your imagination. Uh, When we look at our imaginations, the true God of our heart is uh, what our thoughts go to when there is nothing else that's demanding our attention. So take an inventory of your, your imagination. Get inside yourself in that way. What's captivating your attention? Uh, look at how you spend your money. Our money flows easily, uh, first and foremost, to the things that are uh, the desire of our hearts, the things that we love the most. So where's our money going? How are we doing that? Uh, ask yourself, what's the real daily functional salvation in my life look like? What is that? How does that work itself out, right? This is where the church in Ephesus is at. He's saying, well, you know, we regularly go to church. We have a full set of doctrinal beliefs. We're devout. We're trying hard to believe God. But, but the question for us is really, what am I living for? What's underneath that? For the church in Ephesus, it was a bit different. And so for us, it's asking the same question. I'm doing these things, but am I still a bit off, right? And how do we begin to call that out? Uh, the next thing is, I would say, look at your uncontrollable emotions. What are the things in your life where you're asking yourself, is there something that's too important to me that this is attached to? that I'm reacting in this way. Uh, A couple other questions for you would be, has something besides Jesus Christ taken title of my heart's functional trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? And again, where am I looking for stability, security, and acceptance? All going towards this uprooting of idolatry in our lives, this uprooting of misplaced things in our life, misplaced priorities, so that we can say, here it is, Jesus, and I'm going to bring it to you. And so he says, don't just leave it there. Identify it. Tease it out. Am I serving God? Am I serving other things? And then bring that to me in repentance. I think repentance is something that we don't talk enough about as a church. And he says, come to me. Repent to me. And what that is, is it's us coming to God, turning from it, denying ourselves, and saying, I'm worshiping something else. I'm putting something else in front of you, and I don't want to do that. I desire to have you. I desire to put you in this place. And the beautiful thing about repentance is repentance is the process of retraining our hearts to want Jesus. Right? Every single time we come before God in a, in a posture of repentance, we're retraining our hearts to want Jesus over and over and over again. God, I'm turning from this, and I'm turning to you. I'm turning from this, and I'm turning to you. And we actively participate in that. Right? Spiritual disciplines come into play. This is, uh, again, the outworking. This is the training that we're doing in our hearts so that we might cling to Jesus, that we might love Jesus, that we might know Jesus in a deeper and deeper and deeper way. Uh, that we would recognize our decisions, that we would recognize our idols in our lives, that we would recognize the things pulling us away from Jesus, that we would offer those to him, accept that this is a wrong path, that he's laid out the right path, and begin to move forward in that. And in doing so, that we would receive God's forgiveness. And as we receive God's forgiveness, he says, lastly, return. Come back. Come back to my love and get back to doing the things that you did at first. He says, you've got a renewed heart. Set your eyes on the things above, not on the things of the world. That we wouldn't live a life fueled by a duty and needing to do things, but we would live a life fueled by delight simply because Jesus has called us to be in relationship with him for all else. 
that everything would flow from that place. He says, do the deeds that you did at first. And what he's not saying is do more stuff, because that's clearly not what the church in Ephesus needs to do. But he's saying, the things that you're doing, do them from this place. Live them out from this place. And in doing so, remember. Remember what it felt like for the first time when you realized that Jesus saved you. Remember what that was like? Remember how that was for you when you first comprehended the fact that Jesus saved your life? And that you named him the Lord of your life, that you received that? He says, that's the place I want you to be in. Not a place of, of dull love that's getting cooler and cooler and cooler as time gone on, but I, a love that is vibrant, a, life that, uh, a love that is living. A love that captures your attention, your mind, and your heart. And so he says, come before me. Do these things for me. Remember uh, how you freely confessed. Remember how you came to Scripture because you just simply wanted to know who I was. Not to get some sort of a tidbit or nugget or something that I could teach or share in front of a group of people, but simply to say, I want to know the gospel and I want to know this Jesus and who he is. So he says, remember, reflect, repent, return to the first works, the things in your life that point you to me. And I'm going to add one more in for good measure, and that is replace. Uh, and I simply say this because this. Um, if we uproot an idol in our lives, good thing, bad thing, whatever it might be, and we don't replace it with the love of God, it will grow back. Right? And so we need to be replacing the idols in our lives. We need to be altering our priorities, but we also need to be, again, if we're going to uproot something, we need to then fill it with the love of God. Because the problem at times isn't that we love good things too much, it's that we love God too little in relationship to them, right? And so for us, it's making sure that we have this set. It's making sure that the love of God is flowing in our life and in flowing in our life, that it's flowing from our life and everything that we do. And so essentially saying to the church, check in with me. Check in with yourself. Check in where you're doing this. Don't sit stagnant. Don't all of a sudden recognize, oh man, something might have happened, right? I've, I've left it or at this point, maybe I've, been, I've lost it. But pay attention to it. Acknowledge it. Know it in your life. And so he's, he's calling you into that moment. He's calling you into that in your life for you to say, I'm going to remember, I'm going to reflect, I'm going to dive deep into it. I'm going to acknowledge the things in my life that aren't. I'm going to offer those to God in an act of repentance. And then I'm going to return to the works with a new life in Jesus, renewed life, renewed love for Jesus. And so one of the things I want to do is I want to get a, a tangible prayer practice in your life that you can do this morning, that you can do this afternoon, that you can do tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, that helps you live this out. Now, the beautiful thing is Jesus has really given us the formula for it in Scripture. And so we see this, and really what we want to do is for this to be an act of repentance, for this to be an act of training our hearts to love Jesus by coming, reflecting, knowing, understanding there's something that's taking us away from him. And so, uh, who here has ever practiced the prayer of examine? All right, not many, this is good. Uh, so, I'm going to be sending out some stuff to you guys this week on it to walk you through it. But, in short, the prayer of examine was developed by St. Ignatius, really it's by Jesus here, uh, but by St. Ignatius in the 16th century, and it was a Jesuit practice that they would do twice a day. They would do it at noon, and they would do it at the end of the day. And uh, basically, this is a time of prayer that is consciously reviewing your past 12 or 24 hours. And so what you're doing is you're really sitting down and saying, God, where have you been active in my life? God, where have you been present in my life? Or maybe, God, where have I felt a bit distant from you uh, in my life? And reviewing that and seeing that and knowing that and acknowledging, God, I see you in my life. I'm paying attention to where you're at in my life so that I might be returning more and more and more to your love. And so it's conscious, it's focused, and it's recognizing that God is doing something in your life 
each and every day, even in the mundane things of your life. He is present, he is there, and for us, it's a moment to reflect inwardly and say, God, is my heart set on you? So there's five parts. I'm going to run through the five parts. And then again, I want to make sure this gets in your hands this week as well. The first is that as you sit down in time of time of prayer, that you would acknowledge uh, in awareness and that you would breathe in God's presence. So it's simply just coming before God and saying, I know you're with me. I know you're here. And I'm excited to hear you speak. And I trust that you're with me and I trust that you'll be doing these things. And the second is then taking time and taking a, a decent chunk of your day in this time, to say, I'm going to review my day, and I'm going to do so out of a posture of gratitude. Now, I know sometimes we don't review our days in uh, that particular place or in that particular posture. And so it's coming before God saying, I'm grateful for what you set uh, out for me this past 24 hours, and then walking through that detail by detail. The third thing is that you give attention to your emotions, like I was talking about. These are good indicators of things for us to be able to begin walking through how we're feeling and walking through where we're at with Jesus. And so we're, get, we're paying attention to these things. And then you, I encourage you to recognize something in your day where you felt the closest to God. Where was that time? Celebrate that victory. Thank God for that. Rejoice in that. And say, thank you, Jesus, for being with me in this time. And then recognize, what, what area in your day did you feel the most apart from God? The most lonely, the most frustrated? And begin to pray through that. God, what, what am I to do in this? God, either show me where you were in this, maybe it's, God, I really desire uh, in this moment to know, do I need to extend forgiveness? Do I need to receive forgiveness? Do I need to receive grace for myself in this between how I acted or how I treated somebody, how I showed somebody, you name it, whatever that might be. But God, how are you leading me to live my life from this moment forward so that I might be more and more in your love? And then the fifth thing, uh, or excuse me, the fourth thing is that you would then choose that experience. You'd pray with it, you'd walk through it, you'd work through that with Jesus until you uh, come to the, some sort of a, an ending, some sort of a finishing with God. Whether that's leaving it open-ended and saying, God, I invite you to continue to speak into it, or receiving, uh, God, thank you for telling me what to do. I know where I'm going. And then the fifth, that we would give thanks for God's presence in your day, and that you would look forward with new hope for tomorrow, knowing that he wants to be with you, that he wants to be for you, and that you're going to be experiencing. And so we're praying, God, would you help me to see what holds tomorrow? So we're reflecting on our lives inwardly and saying, Jesus, is there anything that's taken my eyes away from you? And if it has, I'm coming to you. I'm offering it to you each and every single day so that I might live my life in a way that is rooted and grounded in your love. Right? So that'll be coming your way. There's an app on your phone you can get that walks you through this. It's called Praise You Go. I heavily uh, encourage you to download it, do it in the car, do it on a walk, whatever it might be at your desk at work. This is a great time to do it. And then uh, a good friend of mine also has recorded an album around the prayer of examine. And so I'll be uh, sending you guys a link to that as well so that you can see that. It's really cool. It's really awesome. Um, that being said, uh, I will end with this. And this is my prayer for you. Uh, remember, the story that you live in is the story that you live out. Last summer, I had the privilege of speaking at a youth camp in Massachusetts, and it absolutely rocked my world. Um, God was incredible. God was absolutely amazing, blew every expectation out the door. But first and foremost, what made my week all the better is that I, for the first time in a very long time, got to sit and be with Jesus by myself for hours and hours and hours over the course of the day. And I remember sitting down and almost every single day being moved to tears because of how good God was in the Gospels how good Jesus was, and receiving that, and remembering that, and returning to that, and being like, how did I miss it? How has this become so normal to me, <laughs> that I've, I've lost how special all of this is? And so for me, it was this moment, it was this return to my first love, 
I returned to say, God, you are just so good. And I remember returning from the camp, and a mentor of mine pulled me aside that next Sunday morning at our church. He's asking me about the weekend, or the week. I said, the weekend was awesome. It was incredible. This is one of the things that God did. And he, uh, he said, what's the one thing that blew you away the most? And I said, I was most blown away by how good God is. I'm so blown away by the goodness of the gospel. I said, I just can't handle the gospel. And he said, oh, and that is my prayer for you that you would never be able to handle the gospel, that you would never be able to handle the goodness of God, that you would never be able to handle the love of God. And church, that is my prayer for you. That is my prayer for us, that we would never be able to simply handle the gospel. The story that we live in is the story that we live out. We live in the, God, the love of God, and we will live out the love of God. We live in the goodness of the gospel, and we will live out the goodness of the gospel. And my prayer is that you would never get to a place where you can simply handle the gospel. Because when you can't handle it, when you can't handle the love of God, you won't leave it. You won't walk away from it. You won't turn from it. But if you do know that our God has arms open wide, ready to receive you back, and he's saying, come back to me. Return to my love. Return me to the, the top place in your life. Not all the other pretty things. Me. I'm your first love. Come back. Return. Live in my love and live out my love. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads with me and we're going to pray. And as, as we do so, I am going to invite you into a moment of response. I imagine as we've been talking about all these things, there's been a lot of thoughts probably going through your head as well. Uh, maybe about halfway you got into this time of reflection with yourself. Um, and so as we do so, I just want you to come before God. This is a moment for that, that for us to remember, for us to reflect, for us to repent, and for us to say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. I want you above all other things in my life. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. God, thank you God, for the way that you love us and that you desire to love us so much, God, that you're even going to tell us, Lord, come back. You could leave us out. You could leave us to the side. You could have left the church in Ephesus out in the dark and just kept them working in their, their efforts, God, and their hard works and the things that they were doing, but you didn't. You pointed it out to them and said, come back. Don't miss it. Don't miss me. Don't miss living in the love that I have for you. And God, you say the same thing for us this morning, that we would not get so caught up in our works, that we would not get so caught up in the things that we're doing, that we would not get so caught up, Jesus, in ourselves or in the things of the world that we have been, uh, God, fixated on, but that we would get caught up in your love, God. We would get caught up in your gospel. We would see how good it is that we wouldn't be able to handle it, Jesus, and we would say, uh, I know where this needs to be in my life, and right now it's not just there. And so you might be here in this room this morning, and you might be in a place where you're saying, that's not where it's been. I have, like the Ephesians, left my first love. And if that's you, we all have heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want you to put your hand up in the air right now. If that's you, you're saying this morning, I am in a place, I have left the first love of my life. I've left the love of God. I've put something else in front of it. Amen. And so Jesus, we acknowledge, God, that you invite us to come back. And so, Jesus, we repent and we return to you. I pray that we would do it today, tomorrow, the next day, and the day after, Jesus. Thank you. I pray that you would have, give us an honest heart to come before you to be able to admit and to be able to say, I want you above all else, God, above all other things, Jesus. You are who I want. Take me back to where we started, Lord. 
Open up my heart to you, God. Transform my life so that I might be more and more and more like you. Because that's what you have in store for me and for our lives. I love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.